DJ and PK, we're joined now by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. This weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David, good morning. Hello, David. How are you? Good. What's the best thing going on in your world? The best thing going on in my world, probably this show. Okay. That includes Patrick, you know. And Jake, and you, and the whole I game. know, but just particularly. PK, how are you? Oh, man, I'm great. What's the best thing going on in your world? My health. I like it. So, David, the question now of the day. Should it be the Jazz and the Sun shoes right now? <laughs> I, I'm actually going to just tip my hat to the Suns at this point. They've been great. They just keep getting better every playoff series. They made every shot imaginable last night. I thought they were – I thought the first two games this series were the two best games I've ever seen them play. I thought they've been wildly impressive. Um, they're without weakness. They don't roll anyone out there. They, you know, they, they check all the boxes. My, you know, one of my big boxes is you've got to have 240 minutes of basketball. In other words, 48 times five. Every guy that gets out there has got to be able to play and bring it and be without weakness. They don't really – like there's not a lot of guys to go hunt defensively. They don't have tremendous weakness. Um, they, they really move the basketball beautifully. Booker and Chris Paul have a great feel of when it is to, their time compared to when it's time to swing. Um, DeAndre Ayton's defense, which, you know, 24 months ago was like the laughing stock of the league, maybe even – more recently than that, actually pretty dang good, man. When he's like the one-man wall and Giannis is coming at him, he's been good. Um, they've got shooters galore. They're good. So, I mean, I guess you could say that, and maybe we would have beat him. We were pretty good, too. But they've just been so good. I, I, don't, I don't think it's appropriate to make comments that would, whether you mean it to be or not, would definitely be degrading what they've accomplished. You see a lot of similarities, though, with the Jazz? Um, some, um, they both move it really well. They both right. are loaded with shooters. Um, Chris Paul's a unique talent that we don't have. I mean, there's isn't like the last player in my mind that was like Chris Paul is, is probably John Stockton. And then Chris Paul's, if Chris Paul wins this, you know, he changes. He, he actually, I probably guess he'll go down, you know, unfortunately above John in the history of point guards. If he, if he had the title, um, is just doing you know a little bit more scoring than John ever did, and then wins the title. That's a that's a big deal. Um, but he's the only one since John I've seen who kind of controls the game in that same fashion. Kid did, but he just couldn't shoot, right. so it didn't have the same impact. Um, so Chris Paul's just such a tremendous force. That's where I think the comparisons between us stop. Mike's really good, but you know, there's Chris is different. Yeah. David Locke joining us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. With uh, Dennis Lindsay no longer calling the shots day to day, Justin Zanuck is. Is there a big difference in their basketball philosophy? I mean, they're working together, so I wouldn't think there's a lot, but everybody's a little different. So I'm just wondering in these offseason personnel moves, draft trades, free agency, whatever, is there going to be a slightly different spin, a slightly different look we're not used to? 
So I don't think there's a big difference in their basketball minds. I think from everything I've ever talked to either of them or heard from other people, they were pretty in line with things. The only difference that I think might exist and, um, you know, let me, can I say like, I know it's hard. Like, as you say, something gets quoted and then it's like, it's a hundred percent. Like, this is just a thought. Like, it's not a, I don't, you know, if I if I say this and then Justin were to pick up the phone and call me and go, I don't think that's accurate. I'd be like, okay, yeah, you're totally right. Like, so there's I don't say this with like an abundance of confidence. Um, Dennis, to me, kind of wanted a lot of different people's points of view and wanted a lot of conversation about things, and um, you know, kind of would line everything, do all just essence of prep, hours of preparation. And then I don't know what the right word is. He's, he was always ready to act, but let's say maybe there was a passivity to that. Like I'm re- he's ready to act, but the world's got to open up for him. And then he acted right. If that makes sense. Whereas my vibe with Justin is that Justin's going to like open the door to go act. Does that make sense? Explain that a little bit more. I don't know if I can, because it's, it's not Are you saying Justin's going to be aggressive, a- but. Uh, I was going to say, is Justin a little more aggressive? Is that what you're getting at? No, I'm trying to not say that, actually, oh. because I think that would imply that Dennis wasn't aggressive. But, I mean, maybe maybe just a little bit more, you know, like I feel like Justin might be forced some things or be a little bit more forceful, maybe. I don't know. So make That's a decision their, and go with personalities. it. Say that again? Make a decision and go with it. Yeah, a little bit more forceful, right? Like, um you know, that's how Justin and Justin's the same preparation. He's a lawyer. So like that whole preparation thing is right up his alley. And, um, so, I mean, he's definitely in that, that would be, and maybe that's just reading their personalities a little bit. Like, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, this probably isn't the greatest way to say it. Like, I kind of feel like if Justin made him, Justin would like make a decision from just his personality. I'm with him. And if it doesn't go right, he'd be like, okay, that's fine because my decision was based on the right things and I totally believed in what I was doing and that's good. Like, fine, I'm willing to make a mistake. Um, where Dennis had more, to me, of like that Obama analytical, like let's investigate every single angle of yeah, everything. More deliberate. Yeah. And let's make sure we have every base covered. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that either of them's right or wrong. I just think those are their, and I'm not even actually, and actually, let me clarify. I have no track record to show that that's how either of them would act with trades. That's their personalities that I've been around. Well, moves get done no matter who is in charge. And that's just the way of the world in, in pro sports, particularly in the NBA. Very rarely is a team, uh, brought back, brought back in its entirety, and so we expect some moves here. Uh, I listened to a lot of your stuff that you do on your own. You had a number of uh, players that you were throwing out there um, as far as uh, you were just sort of throwing them out there. You weren't necessarily saying that the Jazz are in line to acquire these players. But rather than focus on the specific players, and I got the point that you were making in the in the thing that you did the other day, I think it was yesterday, you were talking about whether it's Harrison Barnes or whatnot, uh, what has to happen for this team to improve next year? I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I actually still think our two best players are young enough that there's natural growth. Sure. That's like part there. of it. Yeah. Um, and, but, and then, but then I would say the core other, the next year of guys are all old enough that they should decline a little bit. Like Joe and Mike haven't shown any signs of it, but it's like at some point here, this does, you do slow down. Like you're on the wrong side of this math game. Um, Joe has shown no signs of it at all. Impressively. Um, and nor has Mike. So if you're able to, you know, bring Mike back, um, you know, I think continuity does help though. I get nervous with that. I frankly, um, I, I, I think in this year, particularly continuity was, um, vitally important and why the jazz had such success with the short practice times, and everything else. Otherwise I sometimes I'm actually not the biggest believer in continuity, not in the sense that you blow it up, but, you know, if I use the Giants in baseball as an example, like when they wanted every other year for that stretch, what they would do is they would bring the same team back a second straight time, and then they'd be not very good because it's not the same year. Like it's different. Everyone's contract is different. Everyone's talked to different people in the off season. Everyone's a year older. Like you're not the same. And um, and frankly, from the Jazz standpoint, the um, Alec Burks was it Kyle Korver for Alec Burks trade? What happened in Brooklyn when we traded Alec? Like like. The two times I've been with the Jazz, there have been two moves, two signature moves in Dennis's tenure were trades. One was trading Alec Burks when we were in Brooklyn, and the other was tra- is waving Jeff Green when we were in Miami. In both cases, there was just kind of a malaise over the team where I just think they were so comfortable with each other, and the continuity was actually working against them, and the trades sent this message across the bow of, like, hey, let's go. Like, if you're not careful, like, I know it's fun, I know it's fun. everyone gets along, and this is all great, but guess what? Actually, you can go, you can go somewhere else. Um, so I sometimes am not always the greatest believer in continuity. I would say, um, we did something interesting last year. I think we paid the most money for any of any team in the league that had six, seven, eight. I kind of think that might've been really smart. Um, but maybe some veteran depth after that, rather than just young depth after that would might be a nice twist. Um, though there's a real value in your luxury tax team of trying to develop young players and having one of them kind of click in. Um, and then, you know, I, I think if there's a way to get some more defensive versatility, you're just seeing teams in the playoffs have to play in so many different manners. And certainly we have one way we're going to play most of the time with Rudy and Rudy's shown some versatility himself, but we don't have great defensive versatility on the roster right now. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Let me ask you, let me ask you guys a question that I've had all week. What? You are the Miami heat. The Dallas Mavericks or the New York Knicks? Okay. Wait, give me the teams again. Dallas, Dallas? Mavericks. Okay, Miami New York Knicks. and Knicks. Okay. Miami. Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley? Well, it's musical chairs. I'd go hard after both and see who says yes. I don't know. But you, you're making your first <laughs> offer. Which one? Well, they liked Lowry, and they've liked Lowry for a number of years. Who's they? The Jazz. Oh yeah, Jazz was supposed to be close to getting Lowry when they took Rubio. Yes. Um, yes. This, yeah, uh, that's the story. Now he is. Uh, but I'm, what, I asked one if you're. I asked if I asked if you're Miami. I mean, we don't have the choice, right? We either get Mike Conley or we don't get anything. So, I'm asking if you're Miami, Chicago Bulls, or the New York Knicks, or the Dallas Mavericks. So those mm-hmm. are the four. I think Chicago is the wild card here. Um, which who would you have on your list first if you're them, Mike Conley or or well, Kyle Lowry? 
for each of those teams? Yeah. Uh, Miami, I think I would go with Lowry. Uh, Chicago, I don't know that I'd necessarily be interested in either of them for where where they are and what they're trying to do. Uh, but it's all relative to who else I could get. Uh, so uh, I'd probably go Lowry on all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth watching, right? And there's the wild Chris Paul to New York rumor that keeps floating around and has floated around just enough. And there's a lot of reasons for it. It might actually have something to it. So then suddenly you've knocked two of the suitors off the board. Resigning Mike gets better. Um, by the way, on Chicago. If, if Phoenix loses Chris Paul, I don't know their salary cap situation. Do they become a player? Um, interesting. Hadn't looked into it. Quick thought is that DeAndre's Eaton's contract will not have kicked in yet, and so they probably would be a player. Now, whether they are... Um, because he knowing that they have to pay Aiton and Bridges here coming up, and Booker will be maxed. Um, it would be another question. They have 125 million committed next year. Chris Paul has an option for 44, so that would drop them down to 81 million. Yep. Then they would then they would have some cap space, but I don't know if they'd be a player just because yeah, I, of the way I, their roster lines. Up. I get it. Yeah. Aiton um, would the one, be the one I think. Interesting, by the way, just back to Chicago for a second, just the impact of the Phoenix Suns. I think a bunch of the owners in the league are going to be pushing on their GMs hard. Phoenix didn't make the playoffs last year. Nope. And I think this is going to change the landscape of conversation inside these front offices. And I, think you're, I think you're onto something there, and I think that's why when PK says if he's Chicago, I don't know if you'd be interested. And I think that would be a normal answer in a lot of years, but maybe not the answer if the Suns just added Chris Paul and won the title. Yep. And they just traded for Vucevic at the deadline, and they only have a year and a half left on Zach Levine, or two years left on Zach Levine's deal. So they're, I think they're a major, and they have space, and they don't have a point guard. I think they're a major player out there where they try to go add their, their version of Chris Paul that changes them from you know, a non-playoff team to who knows. I think they would have been a playoff team with Rubio this year. Who? Suns. Uh, I don't know. The way to get great in this league is to trade Ricky Rubio. Well, they still could have traded him. I think they that was I, supposed I, to be I, a joke. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> but both Utah and Phoenix like literally got rid of Ricky Rubio and went from being like kind of okay to great. But I think Phoenix was the, the arrow was pointing up. Uh, yeah, I do think Chris Paul's pretty. I mean, yeah, I mean he's elevated know, them to the within two games right. of winning the whole thing. But right. I, I even mean, without him, they, I think they would have made the playoffs. I, I'm not sure what I think of Ricky Rubio. I don't want to get into a conversation with Rubio, but I would just say I'm not sure I agree with you. Um, I mean, Phoenix's point guard situation over the last three years, like back to when Igor was the head coach, it's pretty incredible. Like, they went through a year starting Ellie Okobo. He's not even in the league anymore. And then they tra- started Ricky Rubio, who I, I guess I'll be honest, I just am no longer convinced he's ever been a starting point guard in the league. He was pretty dang good for us, but I kind of think Quinn created him. Because when he got to Minnesota, who wasn't very good, he actually, I mean, they have D'Angelo, but he, he wasn't very good again last year. Like, at some point, like, there's just never been a player in the history of the league with Ricky, who's shot the numbers Ricky Rubio shot and played this amount of games and minutes. Like, at some point, his reputation from Spain has just carried him through. He's just a, and he's a great dude, and he plays really hard, and he gets loose balls. But, I mean, at some point, I, I, I'm actually just wavering on that. So, I might be wrong, too, but, like, I actually just think, what really happened there, and this is where I think Chicago's interesting parallel, 
is they just had like the worst point guards you could have for the last five years. And then they went and took the worst and put in like an all, you know, one of the four or five greats of all time. And that is just catapulted them. But I just think their point guard play has been so like, I look back over the last five years of who played point guard and it's, it's incredible how much like, and to Devin, and to Devin Booker's defense who, you know, took some heat that certainly looked like it was ill placed now. He was not playing with anyone who had any idea how to play point guard in the NBA. I mean, it's, go back and look at, like, go basketball reference and look at their last five years of point guards. It is, it is incredible. So I want to go back to the whole, you know, what, what is the market for Conley around the league? You mentioned four teams, and everybody will have just seen Chris Paul have this huge impact on the Suns. So even if you value to go to what you you brought up early in the interview, if you value Lowry over Conley, how long are these teams going to value Lowry over Conley? As soon as they realize there's one Kyle Lowry and there's at least two and maybe three or four teams pursuing him, how quickly are they going hard at their second option? Because it's musical chairs here and there aren't enough point guards. So, um, but they're also, but they're actually maybe enough point guards, depending on what you, your viewpoint of this. So there's nine point guards that I think are, could start that are going to change teams next year. That's a huge number. <laughs> right. So, um, Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kemba Walker, like there's others. Um, you have to, you know, so Chris Paul obviously is in his own category. Um, and then Kyle Lowry, I think we've kind of decided is probably a tier ahead of Mike Conley, but like only a little. So you're right in regards to the musical chairs. But if you could trade for Kemba, are you interested? If you're signing Spencer Dinwiddie, who's younger and bigger, like what's your thought on that? Dennis Schroeder can really score it. Like there's And there's three or four others who off the top of my head, of course, are not coming to me right now. And they're not the tier of Conley or Lowry. But, you know, if Mike Conley at 30... Three is going to cost you, I don't know, $28, $30 million. Spencer Dinwiddie is going to cost you 20 at a younger age and he's bigger. Well, maybe you do that. Mm-hmm. But he's not really a point guard either. I think Conley's going to be able to, to command or get that type of money, 28 to $30 million. I do think Phoenix making the finals is going to impact this marketplace a little bit. And I think the return to normalcy of society is going to put more pressure on winning on front offices than maybe before. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, that's just a hypothesis that, that I think ownerships are going to be more eager to be good um, than they have been in the past. And there just aren't that many teams that are tanking, frankly. Right. So I think, you know, like there's two tiers, there's, there's eight or nine teams walking around right now that think they should have been the finals where we start, you know, that's how we started the conversation, right? Yeah. This should Phoenix be Utah? Philadelphia is asking if they should be Milwaukee. Brooklyn's asking if they should be Milwaukee. You know, Boston doesn't probably think they're that far away. Dallas doesn't think they're that far away where, you know, the Lakers and Clippers are asking the same questions in Denver that we're asking. I mean, that's 11 of the 30 teams right now. Then there's the next tier. And, you know, Chicago thinks they're a player away. Miami still thinks they're contending for a champion, you know, for a possibility. New York doesn't think they're that far away. You know, can they get into that tier? So I, I just think the league's in a really different place than we've ever seen where the talent has dispersed as they hoped. There were fewer all-stars per team on the floor this year. It was the fourth fewest all-stars per team on the floor during the playoffs than we've ever had in the history of the league. 
Um, so so I think there's, I think there's a major kind of shift in the league and the impact of the collective bargaining agreement of what six, seven years ago is actually being felt here. And, and I think you have more teams competing. So with Conley, the question isn't how good is he? Cause when he's healthy, he's really good. The question is how often is he going to be healthy? How often is he going to be available? What can be done differently and then how much of it is just the, the schedule is going to be different? What can be done differently to make sure he's available for the most important games? I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <What? laughs> oh, brother. I mean, I'll, I'll go a different angle on Mike Conley. What I think gets interesting on Mike Conley's market is there's just so many reasons why I think it can get inflated, which is not great for the Jazz. So for the Jazz, it gets inflated because we really don't have another option. If we don't re-sign him, it's not like we get that gap space and get to fill it. So you suddenly have a real roster-building challenge going on. And, you know, for Chicago, his market value kind of goes through the roof because they have cap money to spend. And if you don't, you know, if you don't spend it, you kind of can – there's a little different because they don't have rookies they have to pay that fill the gap. But, you know, for some of the young teams that have – like this is what happened with Atlanta last year and it turned out okay for them is – they had cap money. If they didn't spend it, it was gone because by the time they'd spend it, then they, if they didn't spend it last summer, then they signed John Collins and Trey young gets his extension and things like that. And suddenly they don't, they don't actually have their money anymore. Um, so, you know, cap cap room doesn't always roll in the next year. So in a bunch of these teams cases, if you don't use it now, like in the case of Dallas, if they don't use it now, then Lucas contract kicks in and they don't actually have it. So then that's, they can't afford to kind of go through this process and not add something right now. And so that adds, you know, even that, that inflates the market for that reason. You know, New York's got momentum right now. That might inflate the market for that reason. I think the urgency of ownership to win more coming out of the pandemic than otherwise inflates the market. So those are the things that I think are working against the jazz or just for the players in the circumstance where I think despite their age, these players may end up with some really good deals and actually longer than you're comfortable with. And then you got something on the backside you really got to deal with, which is scary. All right, for David, the, we, we will leave for the reason For the reasons you just talked about that I have no expertise on how to get hamstrings healthy. Yeah. All right, David, we will leave it right there. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Okay, talk to you soon. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.